0: Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths or his chat with Renee Duresta on dismantling the disinformation machine. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B, as in boy, I N as a Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't know if Team Murdoch really wants us looking closer at the murder investigation, but since they now are demanding a new trial, we foyed around and found out. After examining exclusive documents and videos from the early days of SLED's case, We are wondering if there's more to what happened after Maggie and Paul were killed. My name is Mandy Matney. This is True Sunlight, a podcast exposing crime and corruption previously known as the Murdoch Murders podcast. True Sunlight is a Luna Shark production written with journalist Liz Farrell. Happy New Year from all of us at Luna Shark. It is wild to me that this is the third year we get the privilege to say that to y'all. It is truly an honor every week I get behind a microphone to tell y'all about stories that matter. And I hope that I'm starting to sound like a broken record by saying thank you. Because I'll never take this for granted. And I want you to know that. I have been especially grateful for our supporters in the past week, as all the hate and vitriol we have seen in the past two years came to an ugly peak. And finally, everything became clear as we uncovered the two main culprits behind an online hate campaign targeting myself, Liz, David, Sandy Smith, our team, our friends, our supporters, and so many others. I don't wanna get into the details, The details are on our personal Instagram accounts if you want to know more about what's going on there. But we want to say that we know who it is and accountability will come. We are working on that. I feel like the final cloud has lifted after a very dark period of time in my life, and we can finally feel safe enough to do our jobs again. We think, well we hope, that y'all will start to see positive changes in our work now that we close that dark chapter. Also, I'm taking a hiatus from Twitter, as I noticed the hate campaign lived largely there and on Reddit, and it was severely damaging to my mental health to even log in. So my New Year's goal is to stay off Twitter as much as possible, and spend more time in safer places like Lunashark Discord, Threads, and Instagram. So boy, brighter days are ahead, starting with this episode. In November, The Murdoch Murders was the subject of an episode of Dateline, and before the episode even ran, when just the promos were airing, our group chat at Luna Shark was on fire. Why? Because in the teaser, we saw that Dateline had gotten recordings of SLED's interviews with Randy, John Marvin, and Buster Murdoch, which had never been aired before. We didn't know they existed, nor did we think that they would be available for FOIA. So naturally, our reporter Beth Braden got right on that and FOIA'd for them. In the meantime, Dateline actually ended up running very little of that footage. Right before the new year, our FOIA came in. And just as we suspected, there was a lot more to this story. There always is. These videos are important, because as much as the bad guys want us to move on from this investigation, there are a lot of unanswered questions about what happened in the immediate hours following Maggie and Paul's murders. We know who murdered Maggie and Paul, but do we know exactly what solicitor Duffy Stone's role was in the investigation before he recused himself? Do we know for a fact that no one helped cover up the murder? As Team Murdoch funds the expensive quest to get Alec Murdoch a new trial, I'm wondering if they actually want the eyes of the world on this investigation again. Because like we said, there are a lot of questions. Like, what exactly happened during the investigation that made SLED reopen Stephen Smith's case? How did that come up? As we brace for the worst-case scenario, meaning another Murdoch trial because Elec Murdoch still will be running the justice system, I would imagine Dick and Jim will rely heavily on the sloppy investigation defense, which was pretty much their best argument in round one. But was the investigation intentionally sloppy? Because some people made it that way. The videos also provided unmatched insight into the Murdoch's mysterious world and who these people are, in the same way that the jailhouse phone calls gave us a deeper understanding of the players involved in the games that Alec plays with them. In the videos, naturally, the family looks beleaguered. They weren't just mourning Maggie and Paul, they were also mourning the impending death of their patriarch, Randolph Murdoch III, who would die mere hours after the three men sat with sleds separately. It was June 10th, just three days after Maggie and Paul were murdered, and all three were dressed neatly, and though they each broke down in tears several times, they seemed, like we said, coached. Or at least aware that there was someone to protect in this. Before we get into it, we want to point out a few things to pay attention to throughout. There was a lot of footage, hours. So, we tried to limit it to the most critical moments for the public feed, and we will be posting the full videos and access to all the reports that we received in the FOIA request to the Luna Shark Premium feed on January 4th for Soak Up the Sun members only, and we will publish for all members later on. Luna Shark Premium members will also hear an extended version of this episode. We are posting this content only to Premium because we want to continue to grow Lunashark because we believe in the future of journalism and the more members who can join, the more journalists we can hire to dig into new cases around the country where crime meets corruption. This year, we have exciting plans for Premium featuring fresh and exclusive content and access to our growing live event schedule. Essentially. Luna Shark Premium is going to be the place this year for all things truth, justice, and sunlight. And this full video release is just the beginning. In January, we are offering your first month of Soak Up the Sun membership for 50% off. And our subscribers will get an email this Friday for 50% off their first three months of Soak Up the Sun membership. So be sure to join our email list to get that special offer for first-time members. And again, support our mission by clicking the links in the description to join Luna Shark Premium today.
1: Some of what we left out includes the full scope of examples in which SLED was not just being careful with the family, meaning being respectful of their losses, but they were being deferential. At one point in his interview, John Marvin even had to tell the SLED agent, Look, I don't need the gentle touch. Go ahead and ask me whatever you want. Now, that's also a common strategy with the Murdoch family. Give the appearance of being an open book, of being cooperative, of being understanding that these people have a job to do. While in the meantime, there are strings being pulled in the background and considerations being paid every step of the way. Another thing we've learned in these videos is just how privileged and chaotic Paul and Buster's lives were. They traveled across the state extensively, following college sports and hanging out with friends, staying in the upstate, staying at the beach, staying at Moselle, staying at the apartments that each young man maintained in Columbia. They also each had at least two vehicles that they considered theirs. And they didn't really work. There was one point when the sled agent asked Buster about his job at Wild Wing, and Buster was like, I don't know, I made calls, and then I had to go to Party City, and then this happened. Meaning, he'd only worked one day before the murders. The sled agent was like, oh, did you work before that? And Buster, who had graduated college three years earlier, with no awareness, was like, no. During the interviews, we also got a closer look at just how present 14th Circuit Solicitor Duffy Stone's team was in the investigation. Remember, Duffy is a prosecutor. His investigators are supposed to be prepping cases for prosecution, not to be conducting boots-on-the-ground investigations into murders. This is the only case where it seems that Duffy and his entire investigation team were on the scene for multiple days. In one video, we can even see his investigator, Dylan Hightower, exit one of the vehicles next to where Buster was being interviewed. At the end of Buster's interview, he gets out of the car and Alec is right there. And so is JoJo Woodward, who was another one of Duffy's Goon Squad members. Another thing to note is that Buster was the only person to have a lawyer present during his interview. I think you'll understand why by the end of this episode. Who was his lawyer? Well, that was Danny Henderson, the PMPED partner who had sat in the back of the vehicle when SLED was interviewing Ellick on the night of the murders and who Mark Tinsley had said Alec feared the most when it came to complying with the subpoena for his financial records in the boat crash case. Danny, as you'll see, had much more input into Buster's interview than he did Ellick's. Another thing we noticed is that Buster's videos seemed to be much more redacted than Randy's and John Marvin's in terms of the gaps of silence in which his responses about friends' names and locations were muted. This could be because different people did the redactions, but we couldn't help but wonder if it was more in line with what seems like a consistent response to Buster, which has been to treat him, a grown man, like he's a child, where they might have just gone to greater lengths to protect the information. And lastly, Beyond the deference paid to the family, the repeated apologies for asking basic investigatory questions, the repeated times SLED agents assured the family that they were checking out other leads, there were multiple examples where John Marvin and Randy seemed to be setting the scene for future accusations of a sloppy investigation by SLED and the Colleton County Sheriff's Office. It's almost like they knew then that Alec would for sure one day be standing accused of killing his wife and son. So the interviews were with Randy, John, Marvin, and Buster, but in each one, there was someone else present, and that was the Murdoch family name. Here is SLED agent Charles Gent interviewing Buster.
4: I am going to have to ask a lot of questions. You know, you got, you got, you're trying to hear with you, and I'm sure he'll, he'll pipe up if, if ever he needs to. I will expect him to. Um, but for you... <sighs> What I want you to understand is, I mean, your family is in some ways no different than mine, no different than Katie's. We have our good, we have our bad. Um, What makes your family maybe a little bit different is that your family is very well known and, and other things associated with that. And because of that, people talk, people put rumors out there, people make things up if they don't have anything to talk about.
1: It's kind of surprising to say this, but there was no elephant in the room. The family's status was not only acknowledged by SLED, the family was aware of it too, and they used it when they could, but in the most polite of ways. Now, most families who are in this situation, where a loved one, never mind two loved ones, have been murdered, they want answers. They want investigators to keep them in the loop as much as possible. They want assurances that investigators are working the case to the fullest extent. But that's not the vibe here. The vibe is, keep us in the loop so we know where your heads are at, and maybe we'll keep you in the loop about what we're finding. Here's Danny Henderson toward the end of Buster's interview.
5: And we understand y'all have got an investigation, dude. We're not trying to impede that or, or ask you to give us any special payment for this any anything y'all could share, you don't need to share it just with the family or share it just with Ellie. Yeah, we yeah. you don't have to do it to a crowd. To yeah. I, what what I can Ellie tell you is just short term,
4: and we'll get into that. But I can tell you that we have been working nonstop on this. We are we are considering every single possibility, every aspect of it. Um, And and as these things are coming up, and we're sending people to track down leads and run them down. And just like in every investigation, you get something, a lot of times you follow up on it. It doesn't necessarily pan
6: out
5: to be something, but it doesn't mean we don't look into it. Um, We jumped off a bridge for two hours, Tuesday night, and all that. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did hear about that.
4: And I have right. seen some stuff, and I've seen stuff that was attributed to law enforcement that is absolutely false. that yeah, yeah. Uh, is absolutely um,
5: speculation. That absolutely of, wrong. Um, and we were, we we're grateful for y'all uh, being up front with Alec about that. Yeah.
1: Jumped off a bridge. That is quite the expression. Okay, what happened the night before these interviews? Well, a local news agency citing unnamed law enforcement sources said that Alec Murdoch was considered a person of interest in the murders. Additionally, they posted a story saying there were two different weapons used in the murders. I should note, though, they had also published an unnamed source as saying that Ellick had an ironclad alibi. (sighs) Memories.
4: I, I can't prevent it if either somebody.
5: Makes a comment to somebody who doesn't have the same The The other, the other comment that's been, that's been extremely troubling, and I, I, I'll i just tell you that we've talked about it and been concerned about it, is there was a statement from either SLED or from the Sheriff's Office, I apologize, I'm not being coy, I don't remember which, that there, there was no reason for the public to be concerned.
1: Tim Murdoch really did not like that the College and County Sheriff's Office had told the Post and Courier that there was no danger to the public. The SLED agent told Danny that it was a poor choice of words, but again, from the moment Alec engaged law enforcement the night of the murders, he was telling them that Paul and Maggie were targeted for something related to the boat crash victims. Targeted. That means there's no danger to the public. So... I'm really sick of law enforcement not making that point, by the way. That info came from Ellick, and it was their responsibility to pass it on to the public so that they wouldn't worry about their own safety. You'll also remember during the trial, Ellick's team used the, quote, no danger to the public remark as proof that SLED had tunnel vision early on and had zeroed in on Alec Murdoch and only Alec Murdoch as the suspect and considered no one else. Well, you'll see a whole lot of proof today that that wasn't at all the case. John Marvin also tried his hand at getting more information from SLED. Here he is talking to SLED agent Ryan Kelly.
7: You know, and I I respect the part. I I understand you can't give but so much. But, you know, just what you just said is, you know, when you said, you know, we've, we've already met with some of the folks from the boat. That's... You know, that's some of the questions that are in our minds. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, you know, Of course, we we know you're doing a good job, and we know you're doing it right. But hearing you say that, you know, we've met, we've, we've made that contact. That's it's reassuring. Yes, and so I mean, just like like you said,
3: there is the there's a the situation with a hit and run. There's the situation with a boat.
1: A hit and run. Are they referring to? Don't worry, we'll get to that.
3: Uh, uh, unfortunately, there are a couple instances where where paul has you know kind of been involved in 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 circumstances whether he's responsible or not whatever that's not for us to decide but <coughs> there's a lot of strings for us to pull on right and sometimes that takes time
7: you right. know and i know y'all gonna do your best and you know just as as much as y'all can do to help us heal as i guess is what absolutely you know, move through you this know, And, and it, i mean I, it, my heart breaks for for mr alex and and and, and for the rest of the family
1: Mind you, the family wanted SLED to give them information, but as you'll see in a bit, the family really has no information to give to SLED. It was a constant back and forth. They would point law enforcement away from them, but not toward any one person specifically, at least not in any meaningful way. Ultimately, the family's main issue seemed to be with public relations and how they were being viewed by the public. Here's Randy giving us some real insight into how they see themselves and what a threat social media was to them. They wanted to get ahead of more rumors.
8: You know, and if you, and if you read the media, you would think that our family has a bunch of enemies. You know, our family has done well, but it's because of the respect that you earn. It's not because of you know, some weapon you wield, you got a sword or a sword of justice. Really? You know what? Yeah, like, right. You do a good job and you treat people with respect. And it's these people that hide behind the computer screen that,
5: mm-hmm.
8: you know, it's the minority boys.
0: Oh, Randy, your family was in charge of the solicitor's office for a hundred years, and you honestly think y'all have no enemies. Come on, man. So, in John Marvin's interview, Agent Kelly seeks to assure him that SLED will help the family get their answers as soon as possible.
3: Uh, and at this point, every little bit will help. Um, you know, we can't, uh, I wish it was like, it is on television, where you can just, you know, take a picture and have it examined and boom, you get yeah. this in all in a nice 44 minute episode. Um, but if if someone out is, this person's hiding in plain sight, you know, they're driving around, they're walking around right now uh, and, and probably paying close attention to this and, and, and anything we can do to help, identify that person would be helpful, okay,
0: so. And there they were, paying close attention indeed. Right outside the vehicle Buster was sitting in was none other than Alec Murdoch, waiting to do a little meet and greet with Buster's sled agent. Here he is, greeting sled agent Katie McAllister. She's the agent who allowed John Marvin and at least one PMPD partner to accompany her on her search of the house at Moselle. Like that was totally normal. Nice to see you. Yes, sir. I
5: hate that it's under these
4: circumstances. No, 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 you won't yes, sir. That's me. The red hair gives me yes, away. Right. That's right. That's something y'all look for in this family. a yes, Kind of match.
1: <laughs> and Dick Harpootlian wanted us to believe that these deferential, tiptoeing agents were out to get Alec when it was more like they were meeting a celebrity for the first time. So, one of the biggest bombshells to come out of these interview tapes is something that has been whispered about for a long time. How did John Marvin get to Moselle? When did he go? And why was Yemassee police chief Greg Alexander involved? A reminder as to who Greg Alexander is. Remember when both Alec and John Marvin made a point to let the jury know that their family was close, personal friends with Greg? Remember how greasy that felt? How pointed? As if they were talking to one person in particular, even? In 2010, Greg Alexander, then a captain with the police department, was accused of stealing $10,000 and $748 from the agency's evidence safe in two separate incidents. He was one of two employees to have had access to that safe. Though he denied taking the money, he failed a polygraph administered to him by SLED. He was later charged with one count of misconduct in office and two counts of breach of trust by the attorney general's office. And his trial was held in Hampton County where Ellick and his father apparently sat behind Greg for support. That's right, Ellick and Randolph, two badge-carrying members of Duffy Stone's 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office whose family had decided who would and wouldn't be prosecuted in five counties for nearly a century. They sat in a 14th Circuit courtroom to support a man being prosecuted. The Hampton County jury found Greg not guilty of two of the charges and the AG's office dismissed the third charge. Greg was then reinstated by the police agency. He then became chief. Shortly after the murders, he received a $5,000 payment from Alec that Greg said was a loan to his father. He was just the pass through guy. Greg insists there was nothing improper going on there. Then he ran for Sheriff of Hampton County, but lost. Among his donors were several members of PMPED. Speaking of PMPED, you might also remember Greg Alexander's name from Nathan Tooten's testimony during the trial when he told the court that as a runner for PMPED from 2019 to 2022, he would frequently cash checks for Alec and bring the cash back to Alec's office, where sometimes he'd encounter Corey Fleming, Alec's best co-conspirator, and Greg Alexander. When Jim Griffin cross-examined Nathan, he, in the words of the Daily Beast, which covered this very aspect of the trial, "...waited no time to shut down any notion that the money was going to Greg." Greg wasn't on trial, so I'm not sure why Jim cared so much about that. It's worth noting that the $5,000 loan isn't the only loan that Greg has taken out in the last few years. According to record searches, Greg Alexander also appears to have taken out two Kubota loans after the murders. Kubota is a brand of farm equipment, like the kind John Marvin carries at his equipment rental shop, for instance. Okay, back to the videos. During his interview with SLED, John Marvin described the very strange game of musical cars he played the night of the murders. We'll have him explain it first before we break it down.
7: So Monday morning, and it gets a little bit, so my brother Randy calls me. My dad has a doctor's appointment in Savannah and long story, he's been battling all kinds of issues, cancers and and just got out to hospital on Sunday. Um, But he has an appointment, a follow-up appointment Monday and it turns out it's earlier than we anticipated and I was scheduled to drive him that afternoon. Randy calls me and says, meet me in Ridgeland. I'm going to have daddy. We'll go swap cars and you take him on to Savannah. Okay. And so we did that. We met at Palmetto Co-op in Ridgeland and, um, and I drove him to Savannah, doctor's appointment. Well, the doctor checks him out and says, man, we got to get you in the hospital. So we spent all afternoon getting him checked into the hospital um, as the evening, later in the evening, I, I I'm probably left Savannah five, probably five-ish. Okay in my mom's car because my brother had given me mm-hmm. my mom's car with my dad. My brother took my truck back to my parents' house right here at Alameda. Um, so I leave there, I call Paul and I said, man, you know, you going back to Hampton tonight? He said, yes. I said, if you can wait, take my mom's car to Alameda, drop it off, get my truck, bring my truck in in the morning. And, um, and then, you know, I'll drive your truck to work and we'll, you know, be back in our own vehicles.
3: Okay. And did that happen? Yes. Well,
7: well, so what... yeah, all all that transpired until not swapping cars back the following morning. Of okay, course. so so he took my mom's car, dropped it at Alameda. Yep. Alameda is where my parents live. Okay. Yep. Um, got my truck, drove it to uh, so presumably I yep. drove it to Moselle. Okay. And your truck was at Moselle. My truck was at Moselle, and his truck is at my house. When I got the call that night from Melick. Of course, the only car that I don't have my truck. So yep. I get in Paul's truck yep. and start driving it back to okay. to meet Alec.
1: So this is the very first time we're hearing that Paul went to Almeida before he went to Moselle the night he was killed. There is nothing in SLED's timeline to suggest that Paul did this, though. Meaning there's nothing in the records that shows Paul picking up John Marvin's truck at Almeda that night, but... The truck was at Moselle, and there was also no indication that Miss Libby's car was at Moselle, as far as we could tell. During the trial, John Marvin was asked to explain how Paul's truck ended up on the side of the road. Now, this was his beater truck. It was a 2008 Ford F-250 diesel that he used when his regular truck was in the shop, which his was at the time of the murders.
7: Did the farm truck break down?
5: It did how'd you end up getting to
7: moselle well so let me back up and so to the route that from my house down in in oka de buford takes me to kusahachie and i get on 95 to go to yemacy and getting off and coming up that way well another close family friend his name is greg alexander he is the um, chief of police in yemacy i reach out to him and and i just say greg i you know i gave him a a said it said something bad had happened or, or Again, I don't know when I was told about the sheets, but but I told him, I said, listen, something bad's happened. We got to get up there. When I get to Yemesee, can you please help make sure I get to Moselle? Because this truck's sputtering, and I knew it wasn't good. And and he met me at Yemesee, and he he fell in behind me, and we started driving um, until he finally passed me in Varnville.
1: Now let's hear from David, who is going to read to you from one of the incident reports in the murders investigation. This is a supplemental narrative from a Colleton County Sheriff's Office deputy named William Polk.
9: On June eighth, two 2021, I, Lieutenant Polk, along with Lieutenant Crosby, located one of the victim's vehicles, Paul Murdoch. 2008 Ford F-250, white over tan, bearing license plate IZF-269 in front of 4736 Highway 63, Hampton County, unoccupied. The vehicle was facing in the direction toward Walterboro, South Carolina.
1: Luna Shark journalist Beth Braden mapped out all of this for us so that we could try and understand all the routes. And good news for premium members, this map is another feature that's available for you. So let's talk about why getting this straight was important. But... First, I want to note that John Marvin Murdoch has not been charged with anything and there have been no formal accusations made about his actions on the night of the murders, but there have been questions since the very beginning. In fact, both Randy and Buster were asked about the truck John Marvin was driving that night. Why? Well, the whole thing's very confusing. <laughs> Again, there's no evidence of Paul going to Almeida that night, and yet John Marvin's truck was at Moselle. This is not something that was brought up at trial, by the way. At no point did the prosecution point out that there was any discrepancies here. We're just saying we don't see where in the testimony or in the documents we've received from our FOIA, which included the full timeline of events for the evening, which plotted out every move Paul seemed to make that night. It says that Paul went to Almeda. Another reason there have been questions could be because there are three suggested routes to Moselle from John Marvin's house in Okatee. John Marvin didn't take any of them. Instead, he opted for a route that did not significantly lengthen his trip, but it did take him past Almeda. We know where Paul's truck was found broken down and that's between Almeda, where Alex's parents lived, and Moselle. And it was pointing toward Walterboro, which means it was traveling northeast. To get to Moselle, John Marvin would have taken a left off of that highway had he not broken down. Now, John Marvin lives southeast of Moselle and would have been traveling northwest to get there, meaning the fastest, most direct route does not pass by Almeda. And in fact, he has to travel more westward to get there. So why did John Marvin take the Almeda route? That's the big question. Also, can we talk about how adorable it is that John Marvin wants us to believe that he called the chief of police for an escort, but that the chief of police drove behind him? Come on now, Alec was driving all over the 14th with two solicitor's badges and a set of blue lights on his car for no official on the books reason, but sure, Chief Alexander drove behind you to escort you to the murders. Now, what does all of this mean? We do not know. It could mean nothing, but it explains the questions we kept hearing behind the scenes over the past few years. Questions that included the notion that John Marvin, or Greg Alexander, could be in some sort of trouble. But this is all we know. It's merely an inconsistency that we're obligated to note.
0: Okay. Let's talk about what the family had to say about Alec because again, it appears that they were very consciously trying to point SLED away from Alec which makes sense given the media coverage from the night before. However, knowing what we know about Alec their renditions of him did not age well. Here is our favorite characterization of Alec from John Marvin.
3: He's rock solid. Okay. Um, and now let me ask you this, I don't know him, um, but anytime you have someone who's obviously something happened on, on this property, um, you know, and it's, has as, you know, I asked Alex behavior the last couple of months, you said he, he seemed rock solid um, and he, has he ever voiced any concerns about,
7: about being in fear for his safety or anything like that? nothing that it, that i would remember it okay. must not have been significant if he did no he would have said something he did okay. he's you know he's just not that type he's you know he's a strong strong okay. he's a strong one well um and and um
3: let me any any issues with alcohol uh you know medication anything like that that, that not you're... that i'm aware of okay I mean, um are you aware I mean, we all drink but well, sure but you're all adults i right. mean it's like it's it's one thing to uh um but to any any drinking to excess no. okay okay um is he a liquor drinker is it like a uh, is it a is it a beer is it
7: i mean you know he drank like if he were on a boat he probably would drink beer mm-hmm. if he were you know in the evening he he would have a drink possibly okay um uh, would you ever would you ever think that he would drink in excess
3: no, I mean, okay. No more than I would. No. Sure, and
7: again, I know it's tough, The, you know, but we just want to get a better understanding. No, no, no he does not have a drinking problem okay. at all. I okay. mean, that's without a doubt. All right, uh, and no
3: known medications or anything like that that he's been taking or? No. Okay, okay. Um,
0: ah, yes. He was a rock solid man without a substance abuse problem at all. Have you ever felt like you would make a really good detective? Turns out, I enjoy finding clues about scandalous family secrets, uncovering mysteries and cracking the case, including in my off time. If you are like me, let me tell you about my experiences with June's Journey for iOS and Android. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating story that takes you behind the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. It really challenges challenges your observational skills. I have been immersed in this thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. Each will help us solve the mystery and get justice for June's sister, Claire. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android and see if you can crack the case. Did you know nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they have forgotten about? Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Before we started using Rocket Money, we thought we only had a few different subscriptions. I could not believe when they showed me we were paying for so many subscriptions each month. Some subscriptions, like Rocket Money and Shark Premium, are here to stay. But the rest are a thing of the past. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting your money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash mandy. That's rocketmoney.com slash mandy. rocketmoney.com slash mandy. Another big question Randy, John Marvin, and Buster were asked How was Maggie and Alec's relationship?
3: Um, were there any issues, marital issues, between Alec and Maggie? That not not are... that I'm aware of. Okay. Any any issues that had developed between Paul and, and Alec? Not that I'm aware of. And any issues that may have developed between Paul and Maggie?
7: Again, not that I'm
3: aware of. Okay. Okay. Um, and I know that we've, we've talked about this before. Any issues between any of the three, Alec, Maggie, and Paul, any issues that may have developed with anybody that we haven't talked about? Anybody? I mean, I know that not
7: that I'm aware of. Okay, Okay. Paul was pretty open with me about most things. And if Paul knew something, I probably would have known. Okay.
0: When SLED agent Joe Abayalde asked Randy about Maggie and Alec's relationship, he seemed to bristle.
2: Trading lightly, I don't want to ask too many questions or get too far in the weeds with with things, but um, about Alec and his family, particularly his relationship with Maggie, um, and I, I don't have it straight. I, or, you what? I don't have it straight. Is Maggie and Alec? together still or are they what do you mean like are they still married or are they like how, do you know anything about you know their family situation before this event yes before the event.
8: yeah they're still married okay. they're still living together as far as I know they don't have any
2: problems okay um no marital issues or anything like that I'm sorry i, I prime questions, but we got to ask them. Otherwise. None that I'm aware of at all, and yeah. I, I, would know. Yeah, absolutely, you would know because I mean, yes, you know. But I, but we've only met. It's first time we've met, and I, it's obvious that you and Alec are very close. We are close. Um. So I would expect him to. You know, if there were any issues with the family, he would probably share that. With well, him. I think you would see it too. Yeah. yeah. So not none, none, none of that. Um. Obviously, Paul had his own set of problems, and I'm, I'm not. We're not here to you know, bring up old events or, or, talk about, you know, the troubles he was in or anything like that. But, you know, Paul had his own set of issues. Uh, we know that. Yeah. I don't know if I call it that Paul made some
8: bad decisions one night and, yeah. and it laid, led to a, a grave set of circumstances. Um, uh, mm-hmm. he put his friends in a bad, bad situation yeah. and with events that I don't fully understand that accident happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly yeah. how it happened, but I know it happened because of what he had done earlier.
5: Yeah.
8: You know what? But so. Those became issues.
5: Yeah.
2: Um, and obviously. it's so wonderful. Kid, he'll get his yeah. shirt off his back.
1: So, two things here. One is the very careful way that Randy dances around Paul's guilt in the boat crash. You'll remember that while Alec was insisting that these murders had to do with the boat crash, he was more interested in clearing Paul's name in the crash rather than finding out who killed his family. Randy is sort of the unknown factor in this family. We've spoken to people who were close to Randolph, and their take on Randy was that he was always polite, but kind of standoffish, not interesting or impactful the way Alec was in social situations. The word awkward was used a lot. But one thing we know about Randy is that his wife is related to Miley Altman, one of the boat crash survivors. Also, we're told Maggie was not particularly fond of Randy's wife. That she viewed her as a townie of sorts, so when the boat crash happened, Randy and Christy reportedly stopped coming to social events with the family. So it's odd to hear Randy tiptoe around the thing that his wife's family knows to be true, which is that Paul was driving the boat that night and that the Murdoch family, Alex specifically, seems to have tried to pin it on Connor Cook, Miley's partner. That brings us to the second thing. Randy is saying he was close to Alec. It's kind of funny, actually, because here's David with the first few paragraphs of a story about Randy that ran in the New York Times just four days after Alec was found guilty. This story always struck us as a very obvious save-the-law-firm story orchestrated by a public relations agency. Here it is.
9: Hampton, South Carolina. On the surface, the lives of Alex Murdoch and his older brother Randy appeared to follow the same track. They were born two years apart, both went to the University of South Carolina for college and law school, and the two worked as partners at the family firm that had grown out of the century-old practice founded by their great-grandfather. But even in college, it was clear they were different. Alex was briefly on the football team and a regular at college parties. Randy, a self-described hometown boy, would go back home to Hampton every weekend to hunt and fish. In recent years, their offices were close enough that Randy could hear his brother's constant phone calls, but they rarely spent any time alone together. It's not like there was some problem with our relationship necessarily, Randy Murdock said. We just really weren't alike, so we didn't do stuff together.
0: Brutal, right? Another thing that struck us as odd and, frankly, annoying in the videos is how the three men seemed to be specifically trying to address various aspects of the investigation that could harm Alec. Remember, this was only three days after the murders. It's interesting to see what their thinking was. For example, Buster tried to downplay Paul's reputation of always having shotguns and rifles in his truck. Why? Perhaps because those weapons appeared now to be missing. John Marvin, the guy who told the world about his brother pooing his pants in a car, did not appear to get the memo on this.
3: Um, and do you know if they kept any guns
7: back at the kennels? I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've never, you know, I've never, they don't have a gun rack that's obvious when you pull up or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, But like you said, I mean. Laying around, I would say it's very possible. Yeah.
3: Um, and would Maggie ever, do you know Maggie, would she carry a gun when she?
7: I, I don't think Maggie was a hunter or shooter. I think she's. Okay.
3: okay.
7: She but was a lady's he, lady.
3: But if, if if Paul was coming from the house down to the kennels, you'd expect him to have a gun?
7: I mean, he wouldn't carry a gun just because he was going there. But if he were in, in his truck and he's riding the okay. property, I, I would assume that he's not going to ride that property without a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, and just. Okay. And not for safety reasons, for, you know, again, it's loaded with hogs and. Yeah. For practical purposes, you know, it's, well, it's just kind of it's kind of what you do. I mean, no, I understand, I understand. You, know, I mean, you, you have
3: you have seventeen hundred acres.
7: Yeah, I mean, that's, you're going to drive around
3: and you're going to have because you know, if you have to get out for something,
7: that's right. Whether you shoot snakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I, I it would it would amaze me, or it would have, I would be surprised if he were in a vehicle riding the property and didn't have a gun. Okay. Okay. I wouldn't do it. Yeah.
0: Now, without getting into the play-by-play on the whole blackout lie again, you know, the lie that Alec initially told about there not being a replacement blackout belonging to Paul. Here is Buster, who sure can itemize each weapon both boys used, also saying there was not a third blackout rifle and therefore no missing family weapon. He tells the sled agent that he and Paul both got blackouts for Christmas years before, and that Paul's went missing within a year of that. The sled agent tries to get to the bottom of it.
4: How about your brother? Um, you know, do you have any idea what guns
6: he owned, or which ones were his? Um, a little bit more than I did. I know he's got. I know he's got the same thing, twelve twenty gauge. I think his are both Benelli. I know he's got. The, the, you have 20-gauge you think he's got 20-gauge uh, I know he's yep. got, I think he's got a 20-gauge, I think he's got a 20-gauge Benelli. I don't know, because a lot of them, Dad buys them, we just use them as like commutal. Yeah. And, but the ones that, I guess he said, well, what would be his, is I know he's got a 20-gauge Beretta, the same one as mine, we just have okay. two of them. Okay. And then he's got a 12-gauge Benelli, and he's got... He's got a couple. He's got a two seventy short mag. He's got a seven millimeter 08, And obviously, he had one of the blackouts that is missing. You know when that went missing? No, I know it wasn't. It wasn't far off from when we got him in Christmas. Maybe six months to eight months, maybe to a year after that. So it's you know multiple years. It's been gone. Okay. you said one year christmas year it would have been the christmas of would have been the christmas of 2018.
0: okay so one big question everyone has is what exactly happened to randolph that week it went from Ellick getting texts from his brother the day of the murders saying that his dad's illness probably wasn't cancer but rather pneumonia the family seemed hopeful by that. But then, just two days later, Randolph was not only released from the hospital, he had died at home. Here is Randy telling a SLED agent about what happened when Randolph heard about the murders.
8: So dad didn't take it well? No, he didn't take it well, but he was so sick. He was so sick that he, um... Uh, He was upset, but I mean he, you you would not have known if you were sitting beside us. Yeah. Um, in fact, you would think my daddy wasn't very intelligent because he said, "What happened to somebody?" In you know, it's room. like he couldn't quite put it together. But but when I told him, he also had just come out of a procedure; he was coming off of anesthesia, and um, and my daddy's not an unintelligent person. It's like he was. He, like he couldn't believe it just it like the rest of us but also like he couldn't he wasn't comprehending it um and and later you could tell he was upset mm-hmm. later as it he was able to comprehend it because he was off at anesthesia and maybe it was sinking in i don't know but in any event I didn't tell him when I first got there. I was asked by the doctor not to tell him because he was in a fairly fragile state.
0: Then, Randy told the SLED agent about the decision to bring his father home that Tuesday night.
8: Unfortunately, that procedure confirmed that treatment wasn't going to help mm. you. So he and I discussed that he comes home to die. Yeah. We decided that he would. Yeah. And we came home that night on hospice knowing we would start
5: hospice. So,
2: he needs to be home with his family. So.
5: He does. had a good time it's a lot it's not bad for a family and...
2: appreciate you sharing that with us um you not need to
5: but thank you very much for doing that um
0: we'll be right back whether it's david surprising me with a sparkly anniversary gift or we are finding something special for our moms, or even if I'm picking out something for myself. Sourcing it from BlueNile.com makes me feel super confident about jewelry purchases. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds and find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. Blue Nile offers peace of mind with every purchase, with some of the highest quality standards in the industry. From technical questions to budget suggestions, they are here to help you find a piece that you can feel great about, whether you are gifting it to yourself or someone else. If you have questions, Blue Nile's jewelry experts are on hand 24-7 via phone or chat. I love that I can ask about Blue Nile's sustainability practices and all the details concerning each spectacular stone. Experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler. Go to BlueNile.com today. That is BlueNile.com. Hey, True Sunlight listeners. I am here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. You can now use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. There is a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for David, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now, with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items David is the foodie in our family and I found the perfect new knife set that had him smiling and dancing in the kitchen the other cool thing Etsy is a marketplace not a seller retailer or manufacturer of goods entrepreneurship is very important to us and we're proud to support the independent sellers and shops on Etsy need to find the perfect gift don't
1: panic. Try GIF Mode on Etsy now. Lastly, we want to talk about other suspects. Like we said, even though the family was demanding that Sled share information with them, they weren't all that great at giving information to Sled. Not even the basic information about what Maggie was like or what Paul was like or who they talked to or where they went. More than that, it was very clear that they did not fear for their lives, generally speaking, after the murders. In fact, John Marvin stayed at Moselle the night of the murders and he told Sled it didn't even occur to him that it was unsafe until his wife said something to him. But there was one Murdoch family member who understood the situation to be very dangerous. Before Randy got to Moselle that night, his youngest daughter, a teenager, called 911, tearfully telling them that two people had been shot and that law enforcement needed to get to Moselle. She was scared for her father. She wanted to make sure that the police would get there first.
0: As he did many times during his interview, here is Randy giving the same old vague line about unspecified threats.
8: Um, so I don't know. I don't know of enemies, but I do know that, um, Paul would get threats all the time. Yeah. Lots of them uh, is what I've told secondhand. And I remember, you know, however long ago, uh, eight months, a year, a year and a half, whatever. I don't even know how long it's been since the boating accident, you know, ask him Paul about it and he said, yeah, but it was pretty early on after within the six months of the boating accident, mm-hmm. I've heard Alex say that he continues to get. Mm. What, what What? what what does that mean when you know what does that mean when somebody says, yeah, oh, you know, whatever they say, I don't even know what I don't I don't know the context of any of them but yeah threatens, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I learned after the fact
0: one thing we kept hearing throughout these videos from Randy and John Marvin is that they were sharing information that they had just learned from Alec. Meaning, this wasn't historical stuff. These weren't threats that had been plaguing the family. They were just threats. Lowercase t. There was nothing. Nothing. And John Marvin even comes close to saying as much
3: no threats nothing like that that have come in and nothing
7: you know no and and again i i'm, I'm i want to be delicate in how i answer because none of it is is anything that stands out in my mind we we always we'll off the street we'll have somebody saying well somebody posted such and such on social media and you know we, we over the, over the time we just kind of shrug it off so nothing stands out as significant to me Okay. Um, we have not sat down and said, listen, we feel like there's a credible threat. We need to, you know, okay. we need to report it. Or-
0: then there was C.B. Rowe, the groundskeeper, the man who killed the sunflowers, which they talked about a lot. All three Murdoch men gave Sled similar stories about how there was an issue with him, but they didn't think it was anything. John Marvin knew there was a story he was supposed to share about an employee. He couldn't remember the name. Pay particular attention to the last thing that he says.
3: Okay. Um, are you aware of any of any of his
7: employees that you have suspicions of? Well, I don't want to use. I wouldn't say suspicion, but the only the, the name, and this is all coming up since Monday night. Sure. Is the guy that's working for him out there now, and I've I've never met him. Okay. Um, in fact, I don't know his name. I've heard it, and if you said it, I, I would probably recognize it. But okay. You know. What, what that would, would be the only person.
3: And, what, and would you, what would your concerns be about that person? Just, I mean, what has that person done anything
7: recently that would... Well, yes and no. So I guess it's easier just to kind of tell you what I know about him. And all this has come since. This is not prior to. Okay. You know, this is, we open up these conversations after the accident or after the incident. Um,
0: you heard that, right? He said accident, then corrected it to incident. Now, since the very beginning, but especially since the trial when we couldn't understand the family's unshakable support of Alec, at least publicly facing, we wondered if Alec might have told one or more of his family members that maybe he accidentally killed Paul or had to kill Maggie because she witnessed it and maybe he didn't want her to have to live with that or maybe he told them that Paul had killed Maggie so Alec, in a fit of rage, had shot and killed Paul. The reason we've thought this is because it is a story that would allow Alec to come close to the truth while enlisting the loyalty and help of his family. It is a story that would get Alec's sympathy just like the story of his opioid addiction. Now something that really shocked us, but also not really, while watching these videos John Marvin was the first person we have seen to bring up the Smith family and potentially point the direction of the Murdoch murders investigation toward them. Remember, at this point, there wasn't a single article that mentioned that the Murdoch name was all over the Stephen Smith file. And no one had written about Stephen Smith at all since 2015. After the boat crash, though, people on social media started talking and posting memes that said justice for Mallory, justice for Stephen. A certain subset of listeners out there want to say that the Murdoch family name was only associated because of a story I wrote shortly after the murders in 2021. But look here at John Marvin bringing it up himself before that story was published. Oddly enough, my story was published later that night, and I swear, none of my sources told me about these interviews at that time.
3: Have you got any
7: questions? Any questions for us? Well, uh, not so much questions, but one of your agents, um the, f- the female that that I walked the house with at Moselle, what's her name? Um, right Red hair? Yes. Agent McAllister. McAllister. yeah. She, Katie McAllister. Yep. So, um, and I asked her then. I said, listen, I said, you know, when something like this, when, it, when this happened, it, you know, I've kind of gotten a little bit of tidbits of information. I had a guy call me, and I, I wanted to tell her about it, and she and I thought she was gonna call me back. And mm-hmm. anyway, I had a guy call me. His name is Lawrence Murdoch, we're not related. Okay. And he felt, he said he read somewhere, whether well, there was anything suspicious to the, to the general public, please let us know or let somebody know. Absolutely. Okay, he called me and said that he saw a black SUV, off of, uh, he lived, and I don't know what road it is, but he described it as when you're leaving Hampton, you turn left at Crockettville, I believe he said. And there was some reference over, over the past several, half year or so about a, a hit and run that supposedly they, they tried to say that, that Paul had something to do with, okay. or, or Buster had something to do with. Lawrence Murdoch said he saw a, car, a black uh, SUV sitting there at the site where I assume there's some type of a marker there. Mm-hmm. And he said, John, I don't know whether it means anything or not, but it was it, it stood out to me and I and wanted to let you know. Okay. And um, and so that's you may it get more information from him about sure. it. But that's what he told me. Yeah.
0: Now, as we said before, we are getting back into the Stephen Smith case soon. And we are still asking the public to submit tips to answers for Stephen.com to help us with our investigation. But it's really interesting to note that John Marvin brought this up on his own account. Not sure who Lawrence Murdoch is, but we are interested in trying to figure out what they were actually saying here. Sled did follow through with this direction. Remember, A few days later, I wrote a story about how upset Sandy Smith was that SLED called her and she thought that they were reopening Stephen's investigation, but really, they were just wanting her and her family to come in for questioning in the double homicide. Well, something happened between June 10th and June 20th, when SLED reopened the Stephen Smith investigation. Sandy was never questioned for the double homicide. Instead, they told her that they were investigating Stephen's death because of something they found during the course of the double homicide. What's weird is that John Marvin and Buster were interviewed pretty much at the exact same time. And separately, Sled brought up Stephen's death with Buster, which again, is before my piece ran about the Murdochs and Stephen Smith's death, which was published that night. We want to note that Buster uses a slur here. He's using it in the context of what people were saying to him after the boat crash. We are leaving it in because we think it is important to understand the harassment that Buster experienced. Remember, this was before my piece, the first published story that associated the Murdoch name with Stephen Smith ran. Stephen Smith's case was already on SLED's radar.
4: I, I wanna ask you about something that, and. I, I want to preface this by saying this is based purely on rumor and it's not something we're investigating as an agency, but it's the incident with the Smith family. You, you familiar with what I'm talking about?
6: I am.
5: Um, Say it again please. I'm yeah. Smith family. Okay. The, the boy that, right. that I got it. I got an yeah. idea. Um,
4: has anything about that incident come into play in terms of threats, in terms of your thoughts on this incident, in terms of, in any, in any factions, any, any part of that, um, rumors you've heard, accusations, in, in, any threats you've had, um, related to that? No, sir. Is there anything you want to elaborate on that? I mean, it, it, has anyone ever, anyone ever
6: questioned you about that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've read the articles and the, in the rumors and saying that you know I've had people understand to think that that that's what I did and I've had people message me and stuff and call me a a piece of shit and a murderer and a a faggot and things like that but I've never received a uh, what you call it a formal threat and I haven't heard a lot about it in in a while either it's pretty much died off I would say that yes
4: you say message, you mean it's like social media messaging? or Yeah, this this, this, this would
6: or? be Facebook. And um, Facebook, I think I got a couple off of Instagram as well. Did you
4: receive any of those kind of messages after the boat? Yes,
6: sir. I did. I did. Very similar. But again, never a formal threat. Anyone you ever recognized? No, sir. Never, never anybody that I knew who they were.
4: Did you ever Did you ever do any kind of looking to see if there was somebody who might have at least been, you know, nothing else, geographically able to, to carry out a threat or something like
6: that? Or I ever didn't. looking to who it was? I didn't. I, like didn't I didn't take much away from it. I figured the people were just saying stuff. Have you saved any of that stuff, screenshotted any of it? I, I haven't saved any of it. It might still be in the, you know, in the far... Lowers of my messages, but uh, actually, to be honest with you, I think I probably deleted some of it too because I just didn't enjoy looking at it.
1: This is very understandable. At the end of the interview, though, Sled asked to download Buster's phone, noting that they might be able to retrieve some of these screenshots showing the abuse he received. Danny Henderson agreed to this only if Jim Griffin, a criminal defense attorney, would be allowed to receive a copy of what was downloaded from Buster's phone. Finally, Danny Henderson wanted it known that the Smith case was not the boat case. The insinuation being, there's no need to resurrect this again. It's almost like he was trying to manage Sled away from it. Agent Ghent tells him that they have to look at all possibilities. Which is funny, because isn't that what Team Murdoch wanted? Isn't that what they accused Sled of not doing?
5: Um, uh, Charles, let me add, I have been involved with the family primarily just trying to keep Alex straight up since the boat. There was a time there, about a week, 10-day, two-week period, where the line between the boat and the smith thing really got blurred and all all mixed up in social media. Right. Um, but then that, that sort of caught down. But there was a period of time, and there within several weeks after, where the it, people were associated one with the other and just, oh, it, well, and that's, no that's an
4: important distinction to make. Um, <clears throat>
5: cluster as we sit here
4: that you, you certainly have a family resemblance to your brother um, and, I, and while i'm certainly not saying this was the case i mean if someone were angry about the smith cases they, well, they could have found out about your property come out looking for you and kind uh, a scenario like that i'm not i'm not saying that i certainly won't give you any kind of bad feelings but it's a possibility like all possibilities to talk about that you consider so I, that's why i want to talk to you about if you had any Specific people you were concerned about along that avenue? No, sir. I wouldn't say I had any concerns
5: about that. Okay. Okay. Um.
0: We have a lot more to uncover when it comes to the Stephen Smith case. And again, we are excited to start a new investigation. Please, if you know anything about Stephen's death, send us a tip at answersforstephen.com. And of course, please contact law enforcement at tips at sled.se.gov for a $30,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and a conviction. We want 2024 to be Stephen's year, and hopefully the year that Alec Murdoch stops clogging up the state's resources and authorities finally start holding Alec Murdoch's accomplices accountable. Speaking of, a flurry of documents were filed in Alec Murdoch's quest to get a new trial on Wednesday. Be sure to check your premium feeds tomorrow for a story on the latest there, and also where you can see all of the new documents. We will be broadcasting the hearing on January 16th to the Shark premium feed, so be ready for that one, cause it'll be a doozy. Stay tuned, stay pesky, stay in the sunlight. True Sunlight is a Luna Shark production created by me, Mandy Matney, and co-hosted by journalist Liz Farrell. Learn more about our mission and membership at lunasharkmedia.com. Interruptions provided by Luna and Joe Pesky.